The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Well, good morning, everyone. This is our last in the series of Diary of a Disciple. This is a book we've been going through, and it's really just a retelling of the Gospel of Luke in terms that kids can really receive and understand. And it's written for a British audience. So it's got great words like cheek and mate in it. I, in America, we never heard Jesus and his mates, you know. But in this book, Jesus has some mates, okay. So the other thing I'd like to explain is you see this wonderful banner up here. And I know it's been mentioned a few times. But it's got this strange word on it, okay. It says thumazo, okay. And so this is a Greek word. It's found in the New Testament quite a few times when it's describing... People's reaction to Jesus. When Jesus stood on the boat and calmed the sea, his disciples said, Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey him? Like they'd spent a lot of time with him, but he just took it to a whole nother level. And it means, literally, I don't know if the word's up there, to admire, have an admiration, marvel and wonder. And there's other derivatives of this Greek word that mean amazement. Like they, people were caught in amazement. We know in places it says, who is this man that he speaks with such authority? Isn't he the carpenter's son? You know, they, they were amazed with Jesus. And sometimes, because we've heard these stories so frequently, we can kind of diminish them and just treat them like they're normal. But if Jesus showed up today, he would really take our hearts up. He's the one we've come together. That's the reason this house exists, because of the name of Jesus. And there are churches throughout the world because of the amazement of Jesus and who he was. In Orlando, we have friends who work for the Jesus Film Project. Some of them actually um, go to hostile countries and record the film in native tongues and dialects. And, and they've told us at great expense that they go to. They sometimes have to set up these little rooms with mattresses and they have to um, avoid the local authorities just so that they can get the Jesus film recorded in a language for that people group. Other teams work on the technical end where they, um, I think it's in France is where they used to go, and they have the Jesus film now in 1,900 languages around the world, almost 2,000 languages. It's a great resource, if you have a friend who speaks primarily another language, you can go and download the Jesus Film Project on an app, and you can get the Jesus Film, the whole story of Jesus from the Gospel of John, told in their language, their dialect, almost every dialect of the earth. So, another team actually goes and shows these films with the Jesus Project to remote villages around the world so people get to hear the Gospel of Jesus. Our friend took a video of a group of people he showed the Jesus film to once. And he said this was a common response. What he did is he went into a field and they put up two wooden poles and in between those poles they put a bed sheet. And they bring in a projector and they show the Jesus film, the Gospel of John, on these bed sheets. And so a massive crowd gathers around both sides of the sheet because you can see the film through the sheet. 
Many of these people haven't even seen a movie before, much less know anything of Jesus. And their first reaction of Jesus brought me to tears. Because just their first, like, wow, the amazement and all. He healed the sick. Do you see the withered hand, the withered hand be restored? Ears that were deaf from childhood, they're in awe. But then, when it comes to the point where Jesus is brought to the cross and he's being beaten for our sins and our transgressions, the audience rises up. They're getting totally involved. No, no injustice. They're just, they're writhing with, no, he's an innocent man. They're caught up with the wonder of who Jesus is and what he did. And I hope today that you can capture a bit of that as we read Jesus. That it's not just stories. His life affected a very specific culture and time. And he broke through in amazing ways so that we would know that he was the son of God come to the earth to die for our sins. Today's story, this week we're covering chapter 16. I don't have the privilege or the opportunity to bring you a great story like Prodigal Son, okay? Prodigal Son is a story everybody wants to tell because it's a glorious story, the goodness and love of God. Chapter 16 is a hard one. You get into chapter 16 and it's about the dishonest manager and it's about Lazarus being sent to hell. These aren't such great things, are they? But it just shows us that Jesus' words, even today, stun and disturb us. I read them and I think, oh, I know I don't get all of this, but I think I have something from it to share with you today. The first story, story in Luke 16 comes from verses 1 through 13, and it is the story of the dishonest manager. In this story, there's a man running a business, and he's been dishonest with his owner's goods. And so the owner comes in and says, you're going to be fired, get your books in order, you're going to have to hit town. Now, I had Stuart build me a gate because this is important to the story. In this story, there is a man who is the manager. He's on this side of the story. And he's just learned that a big change is going to happen. He knows in a moment he's going from employment, being taken care of and having more than enough, and soon he's going to be on the other side. He's going to be unemployed, possibly begging on the streets. And this man says, what am I going to do? I'm too old to go dig ditches. I'm too old to do labor. How am I going to handle this big change that's coming? And the man dishonestly goes back to his accounting books. And all this money isn't his, mind you. These are all people that owe debts to, his, to the owner of the company. And people come to him, he pulls him and says, how much do you owe my, my master? And the guy says something like, a hundred gallons of oil. Okay, we'll mark it down to 50. You like me, right? Yeah, we got a deal here. You notice, see the numbers? Okay, we're friends, okay? Calls in another guy. Hey, how many barrels of wheat do you owe my master? Says, oh, 3,000. Okay, I'm going to cut this in half. You see this? You only owe half that. Are we friends? You like me, right? You've got an extra bedroom in your house, right? 
Just keep that in mind. So he's preparing for the change that's coming in a dishonest way. He's using the wealth at his disposal to plan ahead. Now, interestingly, when Jesus reflects on this story he's told, he commends the dishonest uh, manager for making preparations, for taking care of things, and using wealth to make friends for himself. He doesn't commend his dishonesty, but he commends his willingness to use wealth to plan ahead. So that when he goes through this door, oops, he has people who will take care of him on the other side. So he is prepared ahead for himself. We need to make preparations because the final line in this story that Jesus tells completely puts a whole another edge to it. In Luke 16, 9, Jesus says, here's the lesson. This is what I want you to learn from the story. This is the point I'm trying to bring out. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then, when your possessions are gone, they will, be they will welcome you into an eternal home. Use worldly wealth, the things at your disposal, to make friends for yourself for, a, for when you get to eternal dwellings. He's taken this from the level of employment to unemployment from earthly living to a level that he's talking about when you're on earth, do what you can to prepare for heavenly dwellings or eternal dwellings. Prepare ahead. Now, this man did prepare, okay? But we don't always prepare. We have this balloon, okay? And I have this pin, okay? And if I take this pin into this wonderful balloon, what's going to happen? Okay, there's a change happening here, okay? nice and quiet. Oh, I do see one person putting, a, putting their finger over their ear. Somebody's preparing for the change that's happening. Okay? Because we don't want to hear that. Now we're on the other side. Some of you prepared. Some of you prepared. Now kids, if you're really not good at school coming up soon, teachers do have a weapon at their disposal, right? Okay? A change is going to happen in a moment, okay? How many people really hate this? Oh, I, I, I see your ears. I'm not going to go that far. But you get the idea that when you know something's going to happen, you try to prepare, okay? You, you brace yourself for it. You do what you can to protect yourself. Later in the Gospel of Luke, we hear the second main story in the chapter of a man who did not prepare. In preparation, I think, can be the overriding theme of chapter 16. Kids, you're going back to school. Right now, you're climbing mountains in Yorkshire Dales. You're having fun at the beach. You're doing lots of things. You're probably driving your parents crazy. In a moment, or in a couple, a couple days, your parents are going to push you out the door. And they're going to experience a glorious change. Some moms are already preparing, right? They've called their therapist. <laughs> They've called the uh, manicurist. <laughs> maybe a massage therapist. Who knows? But kids, your life is going to change dramatically here in a couple days. 
What are some things you're doing now to prepare for that? There's a lot to do to get ready. If you went to school in a couple weeks, or the next week, and you didn't do any preparation, and you showed up that day without your uniform, what would happen? Teachers, what if you knew this day was coming, and you decided, I'll wait to the last minute. <laughs> the kids are going to love me anyways. It would be disastrous. Same is true in this next story. The lack of preparation leads to disaster. Okay? The second story is Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. So just to surmise the story real quickly. Jesus tells a story about a wealthy man, a posh man, a Jewish man, clearly because he knows the teachings of Moses, who is wealthy. He eats well. And a beggar who lives at the door of his house waiting for crumbs to fall from his table. And this man passes him. Maybe gives him some crumbs sometimes, but usually just passes by. What's interesting about this story is it says that the man didn't really take much notice, didn't help him, didn't do anything. But this story takes place after the chain. This whole story takes place when the rich man is already in hell. The change has already happened. He was brought into eternal dwellings, but his dwelling that he earned or that he, he got to wasn't desirable. And he's so hot, he says to Father Abraham, Father Abraham, please have Lazarus who's in heaven now, jumping and rejoicing. Do you want to jump and rejoice for us? Can you do that better than misery? Woohoo! Can you please have Lazarus dip his finger in water and just cool me off a bit? And Father Abraham says, no, there's a division between us. The chasm's been fixed. They can't come here and you can't go there. And then the rich man pleads, please send Lazarus to my brothers that they don't come to the same place too. And Abraham says, no. If they didn't listen to Moses and the, and the prophets, then they won't listen even if somebody comes to them risen from the dead. So in this story, this man, there's no hope. There's no pleading. There's no doing anything at this point. He's completely made his decision by not preparing. He knew the teachings of the scriptures. He knew the call to generosity. It's not just a New Testament thing. The Jewish people have generosity for years. It's part of the nature of who God is. Generosity is God. And so even the Old Testament is infused with this idea of taking care of the sojourner, the orphan, the widow. It's all in there. And he ignored it. He never prepared. He never got ready. He just went on his way. Do we believe there's a change coming? Do we believe that there's a real change, that there's a passing away from the earthly life into a, a spiritual one? To a, to a heavenly one, to an eternal dwelling. Do we really believe that? If we do, this chapter is telling us we need to prepare. We need to get ready. Now, we know, I just want to be clear on this, we know that we can't earn our way into heaven, okay? And we'll cover that in just a bit. But there's some reason that God wants us to begin to exhibit his heart here on earth. He doesn't just want us to have heaven there. The Lord's prayer is, Lord, let your will be done on earth or as it is in heaven. Let your will up in heaven be done here on this side. 
And he wants us to be conduits of the nature and character of God here, now, before we get there. Let me, let me try to bring this home. God is a generous God. He's a giving God. As I said before, he, he's commanded throughout the scriptures to be kind to the poor, the widow, the orphans, to take care of people. So it's within the nature and fabric of who God is to be generous. So heaven is going to be a very generous place because his will is being done there. The fabric and nature of heaven is generosity. We think also of the fruit of the Spirit. Patience, kindness, joy, love, self-control. These are nature, the nature of the Holy Spirit of God. That nature is the atmosphere and fabric of heaven. Kindness, mercy, goodness, people naturally caring for each other, loving each other, not having to fear for the, them being taken care of. What is of earth? Fear, worry, doubt, selfishness, pride. All those things are of earth. And God wants us to leave those things behind and walk in a new life where we are distributing the goodness of the kingdom of heaven before we even get there. There's a man named Henry Blackaby who wrote a book called Experiencing God. If you've never read it, it is so worth it. It is one of the most challenging books I've ever read. He is a missionary. He was a pastor in central Canada in the area that's very rural. And he had a heart, him and his church, had a heart to see a church planted in every um, village near theirs. But the villages are far apart. And they had this initiative. And they really wanted to see... Uh, the gospel being proclaimed in every village. They had it in central Canada. They wanted to see this happen. And so they set forth this initiative. They set forth a budget and they began praying about it. One of the ladies in the congregation was a pensioner. Very limited income. She had a real heart for God. And when the pledges came in and people gave money and, and they pledged future amounts, Henry Blackaby, being pastor, looked at this woman's pledge who was living on a pension and he knew what it meant for her. This wasn't just giving extra and above. This was a sacrifice. He knew this would cut down on traveling, on holidays, possibly food. It was a sacrifice. And so Henry Blackaby, as a good pastor, went to this woman and said, and I don't remember her name, said, dear, you don't have to give this. Thank you for your heart. You've totally blessed me. But here, this pledge you don't have to make. And the woman said, essentially, I need to be a part of this. This is a joy to me to see the kingdom of God advancing in my country. Don't hold me back from giving. Her generosity blew him away, first of all, but it was a sign of the nature of God, wanted to see people blessed and loved and hear the gospel. Her heart was already reflecting the nature of heaven. There's many stories we could talk about where people sacrificially showed the kingdom of God on this side of the change. And God wants us to experience that. In giving, we can receive joy. In sacrificial love and kindness to those around us, we can receive peace and just happiness. We all know that in October, 
the electric and gas and all that is going to skyrocket here in the UK. We're on this side of the change that's coming. And some of you may be facing real fear, real concern about the future because of the increase and the inflation and everything going on. We're at a real point where in October there's going to be a change in the electric bills. They say 80% higher. On this side of the change, you can experience peace. Did you know that? You don't have to wait for God to show up and pay your bills. In this place, before the change happens, you can begin plowing into your trust. God, I trust you. God, I say that you're the God of heaven and earth. You're the one who invented electricity. You know power. You know bills. You know how to take care of me. You are my God. You are my shepherd. And begin plowing in to, to that so that the fears of this earth the things that don't reflect the glory of God can begin to disappear even before the change happens. And we can begin to reflect the peace of heaven. Are you going to prepare for the change that's coming? Now, I want to just end quickly with three points. First of all, I want to underscore that there is nothing you can do is a good work to earn your way into heaven, to leave this earth and to get into heaven. There's nothing you can do other than to repent of your sins and say, God, I am not like you. You are perfect in all your ways. Forgive me for my ways. Forgive me for my apathy, for my distance from you. God, I accept that the blood of Jesus Christ paid for every sin completely and you said I would be made whiter than snow in your eyes I'd be completely pure we don't see this change but it's a real change inside of us where God begins to cleanse us that's the first thing to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ secondly oh let me read the verse that I pulled alongside this just to make it clear so if you have any doubt in your mind that you can earn your way Ephesians clears it up Verse 4 says, and this is in the NLT version, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only, underscore that, only by God's grace that you have been saved. We'll skip forward to verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done. So no one can boast about it. I'm sorry, let me read that last verse again. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. There's more though. Once we believe that Jesus died for our sins, that he's the son of God, then we need to decide to be a follower of him and make ready for the change that's coming. We need to prepare now. In Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 and 10, it says clearly, for we must all stand before the Christ to be judged. 
we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, some people don't like to talk about this, but if it's reality, we need to talk about it. If we're here on earth now, someday we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for every good thing and every bad thing we've done. To not tell you this is not to be honest. The scriptures say that there is a point that you will stand before God Almighty and give an account for your life. We all will do this. It's not a downer. It's not anything. It's something to prepare for. Amen? All right. Now, when we choose to follow Jesus, we will be getting prepared for heaven by doing the things that continue our transformation, by being around him, by being around him, the love of money, the love of anger, the love of being fearful and handling life on our own will diminish, and the earthly things will too, and all of it will become as nothing in the light of who Jesus is. So what do we do to continue that transformation? What do we do to have our hearts in a position of being prepared? One, we read the word. Two, we pray. These are all basics. We participate in church. Now, I didn't say we come to church, okay? Let me just say that. We participate in church. Church is a place where we come together as family and we participate in church. We get together with others. We have meals together. We learn to repent we learn to obey God quickly, not slowly, but we get quicker and quicker at our obedience. We learn to humble ourselves readily, and we quickly confess our sins. Because just because we've been transformed doesn't mean we don't have to keep confessing. We need to continually turn to Him and have our sins washed away. We need to care for one another and love one another. These are the things that we can do to prepare for the change that will come. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. This is the end of that passage in Ephesians 2 that I read earlier. This is what it says in verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do good things He has planned for us long ago. Amen. Before we worship... I just want to take a moment to pray. And if you are here and you've never said, Jesus, I turn from my sins and I receive your forgiveness of my sins, I would like for as many who need to make that, trans that transaction now, giving your sins to him and being your, allowing yourself to be washed of sin and becoming clean. You can just agree with me. You don't have to repeat after me. Let's take just a moment of silence before I pray. Lord Jesus, there is a change that is coming. I will someday stand before you and I want to be ready. Lord Jesus, I repent, I turn from my sins and I say that you're magnificent and I am not. You're powerful and I am not. You're amazing and God and I fall so short. Forgive me of my sins, God. Forgive me of my anger, my bitterness, my rage. 
my selfishness, my self-centeredness, God, all the things, God, that you know. You know my past. You know the swings and the playgrounds I played on as a child. You know the schools I went to. You've been speaking to me all these years because you love me. You've, have, you've come and brought moments in my heart and mind that have drawn me closer to you. And today I say, God, I want to draw near to you. I ask you to forgive my sins, God. I ask you to forgive every one of the sins you know, God, and to make me clean and whiter than snow. God, I trust you. I say that you will lead me in paths, lead me on roads, God, that are good. You'll let me taste heaven before I get there. God, I ask that you help me prepare. God, I give my heart to you now. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.